You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. So today, Ephesians chapter 5, and starting with verse 15 in a moment. So grab your Bibles, your devices, so you can follow along today. If you came through the doors, well, I guess you had to come to the doors to get in, right? Then you received some notes so you can follow along as well today. So I'm excited about talking to you about this subject of look carefully, be filled, and submit. Now, you like the first part, the second part, but the last word, right? We kind of struggle with that a bit in our culture about that of submission. And so we want to talk about that today because we lay some groundwork for the next few weeks together as we explore the remaining parts of chapter 5 together because it talks a lot about submission. And so we'll talk about that together as the weeks go on after today, but we'll touch on it today as well. So let me just jump right into the study this morning. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. It says to us this morning, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil Paul says. So there's three thoughts this morning. The first is this, and that is be careful how you live. I think that's important for us to understand. Be careful how you live, because literally this text says to us, watch carefully how you walk. Watch closely how you walk is Paul's message to us. Now, Nathan finished up with these verses last week. I want to go back to tie them into what we're going to talk about in a few moments. Because when I read this word and I see this word carefully, what it leaves you and I is with a connotation or some kind of reference that this thing that Paul is calling us to has to be done somewhat accurately or simply given close attention that there's a target that is set for us in this text and you and I should focus on the target. There should be some concentration involved in what Paul is calling us to do. So if this is a target, if this is something that we should be attentive to, then what is Paul talking about? What's the target for you and I? And the target this morning for you and I is that which pleases God, that which fits into God's divine purpose and call for my life and your life. And so I've been again to look at these verses, and I pulled out three important words to me. The word look, and when I thought about that, it simply speaks to me about an awareness that we should have when it comes to our walk with Christ. And then the word walk, and that is there has to be some action. There has to be some movement in my life toward God in this journey And then the word think. And so what I realize, there has to be some intention. So there is an awareness and there is some movement in our life and my growth with God. And then there is some intention when it comes to this. So why does Paul write this to you and I that we should walk carefully, watch carefully how we walk? Because it's what he says next. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And when I look at this, I realize that, oh, this is about simply seizing the moment, right? This is about taking the opportunities that come before us and seizing those opportunities for our life. But if I look at and context of what Paul is teaching us, what I realize is it's about what pleases God. It's not just that you and I are called to be opportunist. No, there's something deeper than that. It's not just taking the moments in my life for maybe my job or whatever, my education, and being an opportunist in all those areas. It's a very specific call when it comes to opportunity. And it's about those opportunities to do the things that please God. It's what it is. Yes. Wow. I think we have to frame this carefully because if not, we tend to sort of over have this overview of it and we don't get down to really what Paul is telling us about today. It's not just a call to be an opportunist in life, but it's a call to simply seize the opportunities that we have in life to please God with our life. So why does he say this to you and I? Why? Because that the tempo and the rhythms of the world that surround us do not line up with God's purposes for our life. They do not. And, and they say, well, Mark, you're telling me something that I already know. I realize that. 
but I think it's something that all of us in the room should be reminded of about the world that surrounds us, that the rhythms, the tempo of the world around us does not line up with the purposes of God for our life. The world has different values. The world around us has an agenda. It has priorities. It has a desire to take those agendas and priorities and impress them into my life and your life as a Christian. It does. And what I realize is if I've set my life according to the agenda of the world, then what Paul says this, he says that I'm unwise and I am wasting my life away. Wow. That I'm wasting my life away if I've set the agenda, the purpose, the intention of my life on anything but those things that please Christ. Is what he's saying. Those are tough words, but I think they're words that we have to deal with and we have to struggle with this morning. And so here's a powerful point. In light of all of that, the Christian life is a struggle. Boy, doesn't that make you feel good, right? On this beautiful, rainy Sunday morning, I get up here and tell you the Christian life is a struggle. Like I have to tell you that because if you are walking this walk, then you understand that you are living in a world with a very different agenda for your life than what God has for your life. And so there's going to be some tension involved. And because of that, there's going to be a struggle in this world for you and I as Christians. And if we're going to be victorious in this struggle, then we have to declare war. And we have to declare war mentally and spiritually on this gravitational pull of the world in our life. You and I have to realize that this is war and we have to declare that because the world is continually pulling against you and I with its own agenda and its own purposes. It is. So Paul leaves us with this feeling or this this understanding that there's no place in my life or your life if you are a believer. And I realize that in this room, in the demographics of this room, there are believers and non-believers. And I understand that. So I'm not naive to think that we're all on the same page. But I want to say to you, if you are following Christ today, then what Paul says to you and I is there's no place in your life and my life for complacency. There's no place for it. No, there's no place for my life, no place in my life or your life if you are following Christ to just simply cruise along until Christ returns and then we have this culmination of our redemption and at that time when we are glorified. No, it's not that at all. There's no place in my life for the mentality of I'm just going to hold the fort until Jesus comes back or or I'm simply going to just hang on until he returns. That's not it at all. No, This is absolute war in my life and your life not to get sucked in to the vortex of this world. Truth. It is. I think it's important that we see this for what it is and what Paul is saying to you and I this morning that the days are evil. He said he makes that extremely plain for you and I. So we seize the opportunities to do what? We seize the opportunities to stand for Christ and his purpose for our life when the world has a contrary purpose for every one of us in this room. Every one of us. So we seize that opportunity to stand is what we do. Well, let me show you this. Going back in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 4, and here's what Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins which, in which you once walked, following the course of the world. I underline that because it does, I think, strengthen what we just said about the world and its agenda in our life, that it does have an agenda, and it's not God's agenda. Because Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2 and 4, Following the prince of the power of the air, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the course of this world, the agenda of this world is completely anti-God. Don't be fooled by things that you see because it is. The world prioritizes what 1 John chapter 2 tells us is the priority of the world. 
That is one, the lust of the flesh. That is a bodily pleasure, gratification over glory within our life. The lust of the flesh, materialism, the pride of life, that we're the point in life and God is not. And that's what it teaches you and I. And that's what we find through media and all other sources that our flesh still is saturated by those things. The spirit is at work in our flesh and it's how and it's why we tend to gravitate toward those things. So I thought, well, how do we talk about this for a minute? You say, Mark, we've talked enough about this. Move on. You know, I want to get to the other stuff for a moment. So you want me to move on to submission and submitting? Is that really where you want me to go? Well, let's stay here for a little while, right? The world has this gravitational pull uh, in our lives. It does. It's like having your car driving down the road and your, the front end of your car is out of alignment. Now, I, I don't want to talk, you know, in this mechanical terms and you not understand. So let me ask you a question. How many of you understand what it means for your car to be out of alignment? Raise your hand. Can I see your hands? Pretty good. Good. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You just think your car wants to make sharp right-hand turns all the time on its own, right? Yes. And that's just the way the car was designed, correct? Yeah. And if it's a left-hand turn, then it's a NASCAR race car, right? Because that's a continual left-hand turn. Is that the way it goes? Yes, that's the way it goes. I had to think about that for a moment. Yes. And, and so, you know, if your car is out of alignment and you're going down the road and you take your hand off of the steering wheel, right, what happens? What happens? Your car tends to gravitate toward the edge of the road, correct? Is that the way it works? Sure, that's exactly how it works. So how do you correct that gravitational pull? What do you do? You grab the steering wheel, you hold on to it, and you fight it back into the lane. Is that correct? That's exactly what you do. Some of you are just realizing what's wrong with your car, right? I just diagnosed that. Mechanical fee is $90 an hour. Feel free to give it to me when you leave, right? No, just kidding. Yeah. So you fight it back into the lane, which takes you to your desired destination. I lay that over our spiritual life. And what I realize in my spiritual life is that if I'm not fighting, I'm losing. Understand that. Because there is a constant gravitational pull of this life toward the edge of the road for you and I. And if I ever take my hands off of the wheel and I'm not intentionally steering the vehicle in the lane that gets me to the destination that I need to be at, my life will always veer to the side of the road, and at some point I find myself in the ditch. True. So if I'm not fighting, I'm losing. I can't coast my way to spiritual victory in my life. So what are you saying? What I'm saying to you is, are you, in, are you intentionally formulating a plan for your life spiritually? Are you intentionally formulating a plan for your life spiritually? Are you setting godly priorities for your life? Are you doing that? How are you navigating your relationships? How are you selecting people to simply come close to you and be in a relationship with you? Are you growing intentionally? Because what I realize is that no one grows accidentally. That is that has to do with our physicality and also our spirituality as well. So no one grows accidentally. John Owen, who is a powerful Puritan theologian, says, be killing sin, he says. Be killing sin. I think it might be a slide. I don't know. Maybe it is or maybe it is not. But it says to us, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I thought about that. That's a really powerful thought. That be killing sin or sin will be killing you is what he says. So look at verse 17. It says, therefore, 
of chapter 5. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so what is he saying to you and I? He's saying in light of this gravitational pull, in light of this this, uh, reality that if I don't have some intention in my life spiritually, that I'm always going to gravitate toward the edge of the road. I'm always going to drift if I'm not intentionally living my life for Christ, then he says, then strive to learn, is what he's saying. Strive to understand the will of God in every situation of my life. Why? Because the will of God for you and I does not come naturally. Realize that. It doesn't. It doesn't come naturally. So I thought, well, how do we talk about this? So I read the parable of the sower and the seeds in the book of Matthew chapter 13. And when I read this, well, let me tell you about the parable for a moment. And I think it helps us to have this, this, this value that we need for that of understanding the will of God for our life. It is. So the parable in the book of Matthew chapter 13 is an interesting situation. Jesus begins to speak. A great crowd draws around him. So he pushes off in a boat He's just off the shore. The crowd is on the beach, and it's the very first beach church worship service is what it is. It's a great thing, right? Uh, You thought that was unique. It's not. Jesus has always done all those kinds of things before we get to it, right? And so Jesus begins to have this conversation with him, and he talks about a sower that sows seeds. And he says that one of the sowers, they simply sows on a path, and he sows on the path that's been walked on and the soil is hard and the birds come and they eat the seed. He said there's another sower that sows in thorns, but the thorns grow up and they choke the seed. Then he says that then there's one that's on the rocky ground and the sun comes and it scorches the seeds and kills them. But then there's the last one. They sow on good soil is what he says. And the results of that is a great harvest. So I thought, then what is good soil, right? What is good soil? Because that's what I desire for my life. What is good soil? And so Jesus explains that in chapter 13, verse 18 of the book of Matthew, because as everyone there wants to know, we want it. We want to know as well what good soil is. So he says this. Let me read these texts. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone, hears the, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path, he said. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises... On account of the word. Isn't that interesting? How many times have you read that and missed that part? On account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good ground, he says, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. And so what I realize is this, when he talks about you and I and the need for us to understand the will of God and what is the will of God, that which pleases him, the only seeds that survive in our lives are those that are driven deep within us is what he's saying. Those that are driven deep within our heart and deep within our spirit. Listen, Paul spent the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians reintroducing you and I to the gospel. That's what he talks about in those first three chapters. He talks about the gospel and the work of Christ within our lives. Why? Because it is the gospel that we should drive deep within our hearts as that spirit into that seed into good ground within our lives so it flavors everything about us. So that when I choose relationships or when I go into a marriage or when I deal with my children or my church or my profession or my leisure, everything is flavored by the gospel that is seated deep inside my soul. So everything I see is seen through the lens of the gospel. What does that mean? 
How does, that, how does that affect everything that I do in life? Oh, let me tell you how it affects that. Because what I realize in light of the gospel is the only thing I deserve is death. So everything I have in life is a gift of grace from God. Wow. Can I say it one more time? I just want to say it to you again, you know, and let it resonate in your heart that I only deserve death. So everything I have is a gift of grace from God. That I take nothing for granted, nothing that them, that really I'm entitled to nothing that that all I am and Everything I have achieved is absolutely a direct result of Christ in my life. And so that empowers me. That enables me to keep my hand on the will and fight the gravitation of the pull of the world around me. You see, this is more than just me trying to, you know, get through every day and not do bad things, you know. And I think sometimes that we frame our Christian life like this, you know. Oh, I made it through another day, and I didn't do, like, three bad things. I did one and a half, correct, you know. Because the one and a half, I kind of thought about it for a while and planned it out, and I didn't go through with it. So, you know, kind of, so, so it's, it's more than just me trying to make it through day after day and not doing bad things. It's more than me just going, wow, I made it through today without doing, and you can fill in the blank. And I think I put that in your notes because maybe some of you need to fill in the blank with that. No, no, no. This is Paul writing about an intentional lifestyle. An intentional lifestyle that focuses on Christ. That plants the gospels deep in my life as a seed. To where that I'm not just keeping score of my daily wins and losses spiritually. It's more than that. But I'm putting to death my flesh every day of my life. So I thought about this, this idea of mortification and vivification, and those are two theological terms, and what I realized, the way the Bible teaches this, is that mortification, that is the death of my sin, vivification is that of my life in Christ, and what I understand is that in the Bible, that life always follows death. Isn't that interesting? That in order for me to live, the Bible teaches me that I have to die to something. Wow. That concept is across the board, biblically for you and I. But I think Paul places that here and for our understanding that Something has to die in me in order for Christ to live through me. And what I realize is that that that's the sin of my life because there's continual gravitational pull of the world around me. And how does that take place when I am intentional in my life, when I'm absolutely intentional in my life and I understand the will of God for my life, that I'm intentional in pleasing him. That's my desire. That's the driving force of my life is that. That the will of God for me to understand is what pleases him. You say, Mark, this is extremely difficult for me and I need some help. You know, you got to give me a little help here. And so Paul says, I got you. Paul says, I've got you. I got you some help. And so he says next, be careful to be filled. Because if he's calling us to live this intentional life, but then we have this gravitational pull of sin in our life toward the edge of the road, then I'm going to have to have some help here. I really am, you know, because, Mark, you don't realize my car is not just out of line today. I think that my steering wheel is kind of stuck in that direction right now, right? And, and I'm just, I'm just bare-knuckling this kind of thing to try to keep it in the road. And is that really the way that God wants me to live? And I want to tell you that Paul gives us some help here. He doesn't leave us just hanging on our own strength to do this. But he says, be careful to be filled. And so he says in verse 18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. 
Are some of your, your texts say dissipation is the word that is used there. Write the word debauchery. Can you write the word wantonness? Wantonness. It's a word that means waste. Now, I know that you have been waiting for this text for months now. Correct, right? Yeah, because you're wanting to hear this sermon on alcohol. Well, hang on for a moment, and I'll give you some thoughts, what I believe are biblical here about that. But he says, do not drink, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that's what he's saying, and I think that's important here that you and I grasp that, because in all texts, there's always a central idea, and then it's surrounded by supportive ideas. So what is the central idea of this text? The central idea of this text is, but be filled with the Spirit, right? But we always get all wound up really tight on the first part about don't get drunk with wine. No, no, the focus is to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord and with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me camp here for a moment if I have some time. But be filled with the Spirit. Oh, now you're going to get nervous. Yeah, because it's a, it's a, Come on, it's one of those texts that's been debated for centuries. It really has. We've talked a lot. What is Paul really talking about right here? You know, we could talk about this for hours, perhaps. Is he talking about the filling of the Spirit at salvation, that of Ephesians 1 and verse 13? Is that what he's talking about? Or is he talking about what many use the term the baptism of the Spirit in Acts chapter 1 in verse 5? So what is he talking about? Or is he talking about both of them right here? You know, what, what is this? Can I tell you this text being debated? Yes, it has. But the point today is not for you and I to debate the validity of either one of these experiences. That's not it at all. That's not the purpose of this sermon of this teaching. But let me give you some foundation for what he's saying for a moment. Because the verb filled is not a passive verb. So what does that mean, Mark? That, you know, I don't know. What does that mean? That means that this is not something that is accomplished by human strength. This is something that's accomplished by God. This is a sovereign work of God to be filled with the Spirit. It's a sovereign work of God in my life and your life is what... Paul is saying it's the word that he uses. But then a word filled is also a present passive imperative. That makes you sound really intelligent when you say things like that, right? Oh, that's a present passive imperative. What does that mean? It means it's not a one-time event either, but it's a continual filling of the Spirit within your life. So what is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about the control of the Holy Spirit over every area of your life. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the control of the Holy Spirit over every area of your life. And we get so wound up sometimes to think in the theological differences that should never divide us because we come together under that of the banner of the gospel as well. But this is about... You submitting your life in complete control to the work of the Holy Spirit within you is what he's talking about. So, Mark, how, what is that sign? You know, what is that sign of that of being filled with his spirit? And, and is it that do I have to speak in tongues? Is that what it is? According to what we find in the book of Acts and that and also in, in Corinthians, is, is that what you're talking about? Can I tell you that I believe the identifying marker the overwhelming marker of that of being filled with the Spirit is this question, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? So a Spirit-filled life is marked by you walking in the Spirit. What does that look like for you and I? What is Paul dealing with here? He's dealing with an intentionality on my part and your part, a focus, a target for the will of God that you have daily, that every day when you get up, 
that the first thing you do or somewhere in those first moments of your morning is you say, God, I want to do your will today. Fill me with your spirit, God, that I, I, I resist the gravitational pull of this world and its agenda, and I adopt your agenda for my life completely. God, control everything about me in every moment of my life. I surrender everything to you. You control me, Holy Spirit. You fill me. That I'm not just thinking about God when I come here on a Sunday morning. But I'm thinking about God every moment of my life. I'm thinking about God every morning when I get up. And it's the way that, that I flavor the day before it ever gets started. I'm daily mindful of his will and his ways for my life. Is what he's talking about. It's about you and I being filled with his spirit. So I read those verses. And then I found a verse where Paul writes in the book of Colossians. Some verses that are very parallel to this. He says in Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiveness, uh, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Look, it's a mirrored verse almost. It's almost exactly the same thing. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God the Father through him. And what I realize is so important that this call for you and I to be filled with the Spirit is not, it's not a suggestion it's an imperative that he writes it here. He says, be filled with the Spirit. It's not that you get up today and I decide, today and I, decide I want option B, and I'm going to control my life today, and I'm not going to surrender my life to the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill my life. I'm not going to do that, but I take option B for my life. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's what God wants you to do. That's what he's saying. To be filled with the Spirit. So, so what is... I'm trying not to get real geeky on you, okay? So hang on for a moment, right? So, but I love words, right? And, and I, I love the meaning of the words. And, and, and in Scripture, the words are so deep that are used. And the word filled, I had to see what really he's talking about. And, and the word means pressure. Or it, it, it's like the, the wind in the sail of a ship that pushes it along in the right direction. That's awesome, isn't it? It is. It also means um, it, it's the same thing that is used for permeation. It's when salt is placed in something, how it preserves and flavors it as well. And man, that, that just got me going, right? It also means the principle of Control as well. And what I realize is that you and I are under control of whatever dominates us in this life. And what I understand is that whatever is influencing us, it's influencing, it's influencing us for something. And it's also influencing us to something. So the question is, what dominates your life? Because whatever dominates your life influences you and whatever influences you directs you is what Paul is saying so he says be filled with the spirit so I begin to geek out more right I, I just begin to look at this and I think wow this is amazing this is this is so powerful and you know, I usually teach like 15, 16 verses with you, just a few verses today, and I still find myself behind the clock again, right? I, I still do because there's so much here for you and I to, to understand. And, and when I begin to look at this, and he talks about the word of God dwelling richly within my life, and that of me being called to be filled with the Spirit continually, then, then what I realize, that is the will of God. That's the life that God has designed for you and I to live. That his word dwells richly within me. That I'm filled with the Holy Spirit continually. And so that is that the driving intentionality of my life is to do the will of God. Oh, I forgot to talk about alcohol, didn't I? I'm so sorry. 
you know? Because you've been, you haven't heard a thing I've said until you're waiting for this, right? Yes, yeah. Well, let me talk about that for a moment with you. Oh, this is going to be fun, right? Yes, yes. Because when I realized that, and you have to take all of this, and the main idea is to be filled with the Spirit, but you have to take all of this, and what I realized is the Word of Christ that dwells in us richly, and that of life, a lifestyle of being filled with the Spirit continually is much more in line with the will of God for my life, and it's a much better way than just simply me submitting my will to grandpappy's homemade hooch. It really is, right? Some of you don't know what that is, right? Yeah. Or whatever spirit that you surrender the control of your life to. Oh. Mm. I don't preach. Mm-hmm. So let me say something that some of you will disagree with me with. You say, well, Mark, you do that all the time. I know, but I want to say another one to you, okay? This is not an anti-alcohol verse. Hang on. Don't run with that. Lock the doors. You can't leave, okay? It's not. But it is. An anti-surrender verse, if it is anything in your life other than the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Word of God that you're surrendering your life to. Does that make sense? Now, I think that's very biblical. And I think you need to digest that for a moment. Because you've heard people use this verse out of context. And it's very, it's very easy to do that, I think. But I think it's also easy to use that a context and miss the main point of what Paul is preaching to us. And Pastor Paul always has a sermon for us. And it's easy to miss that because this is very much about what you are surrendering your life to and what controls you. It's the seed that you are planting deep within you that will determine whether you are victorious spiritually in this life or not. Because if you're not fighting, then you're losing. So is the Holy Spirit filling you daily? Is the Holy Spirit the controlling influence that motivates and directs your life? When is the last time in your prayer time that you have said to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, fill me? When is the last time that you said, I surrender everything? I surrender control of all things of my life. I su- surrender control of all of my relationships, my, my education, my profession, my, my marriage. I surrender my children to you. I surrender everything, even that thing that I keep in that room that's locked way deep in my heart that I will not allow God in at all, but God already knows what's there. But I surrender everything, Holy Spirit, Fill me. Wow. Boy, it'd be a great time for just to say, okay, amen, we're done. Everybody just come up here, right? And let's pray together because I think it's a prayer that we should all pray and we should all pray daily. Because this is about surrender. And if you are surrendering your life to anything else, Paul uses, see, my time is up almost. And and man, I tell you, I usually have four pages of notes. I have three. I was going to cut you guys some slack this morning. I really was. But I can't. Because you know why Paul uses this? Paul uses this, this supporting text about drunkenness because He's writing to the church in Ephesus who 50-something temples and a lot of their temple worship involved drunkenness because you know what they do? They felt like that if they got drunk enough, then they opened themselves up to the spirits of those gods that they worshiped and then those gods would indwell them. Hello. Right? For some of us in this room, they may need to be a little repenting. True. So let me move on. And then he says, be careful to submit. And this is where we bring it all together. 
Be careful to submit. Because life in the Spirit looks like this. And he says in verse 21, he says this. He says, actually, I skipped verse 19, didn't I? Let me go back. Don't go there for a minute. Let me go back for a moment, okay? Just forget the clock, okay? Let me go back for a moment. Verse 19, this is what he says. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and I thought, well, you know, he just hit us hard with all of this. And then we come back to, to this as well. And, and so, you know, what, what is he talking about? And why does he put all this together? Because he reminds us, uh, he reminds us daily uh, uh, that we are to be reminded. We remind ourselves, remind our brothers and sisters of the Lord, remind ourselves of what God has done on our behalf, that we revisit the gospel every time we come together, whether we do that privately or corporately. But there's great strength in all of that because there's no substitute for corporate worship. See, you heard me do that and you came out and I just reversed things, didn't I? Okay, that's good. Okay, good. I love it. We can be flexible here. He says this because there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no substitute for you and I to gather together corporately and sing the songs of redemption. Is what he's saying. Why? Because it moves us. It fills us. It's a supernatural event within our lives. Yes, we offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Absolutely. But it's what God does in the midst of that when we come together that's incomparable to anything else. It is. Why do people get up on a morning like this on the day of worship all over the world and they risk their very lives to come together in a setting for corporate worship? Why? Because following Christ is more than just learning truth, but it's about being swept up in the beauty of who Jesus is. Because encounter changes us, not facts. And when we come together in a setting like this and we sing the songs of salvation together, the Bible calls them, that there's something that supernaturally happens in my life and your life. And I think that we have become so informationally oriented and fact-driven that we have forgotten that there is a very powerful, overwhelming, supernatural aspect to all of our lives. And that God meets us and he moves us. And he empowers us and he fills us. Because it's encounters that changes things. But then he says, be careful to submit. Because that's what a spirit-filled life looks like. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what I realize is that, and, and, and I have to say this to you that submitting to you know submitting and and all of this that that paul is going to be talking about to us over the next few weeks that we submit to one another out of reverence for christ is what he says in our culture submission is a is an offensive word for us because it has the connotations of being weak or that of giving up or giving in or giving over control to something else and that's not paul's intention unless it's that of you and I giving up control to the Holy Spirit in our lives. So he says, submit. It's a powerful word. It's the Greek word, hupotasio. And hupotasio means to arrange under. Here's what this means. It's so powerful. I love it. that I'm not called just to surrender a part of my life to God. I'm not called to live compartmentalized that here's my spiritual life and here's my professional life. And, and, and you know, because Lord knows I can't do my professional life right if I simply bring God into that. No, what he says is this, because the word that he uses, 
that you arrange under, that means that encompasses everything. That I reach out into the outer extremities of my life and I pull everything in my life under God. I pull everything in under Christ is what he's saying. Everything. Because that's the mark of a spirit-filled life. It's not emotion-based. And emotions are okay if you get emotional. That is absolutely fine. But it's, it is submission-centered in all areas of my life. Everything. Why does he say that we just submit to one another then, Mark? Why? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Because the body of Christ is filled with individuals call to not be individualistic so for the next few weeks we're going to talk about hang on where Paul says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord children obey your parents now there's a lot of submission there's a lot of submission on the part of our part of one gender now don't get me wrong here because here's why Paul says this right off the bat because this remember this is this is about arranging under this is about everything and everybody this is everything comes under that of submission to Christ children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh as to Christ because he says out of all of this we do this out of reverence for Christ so let me end with this I couldn't get away from this out of reverence for Christ so that means that when I surrender when I submit when I place you and your needs above my needs at time when I love you even when it causes sacrifice in my life. It's not that I'm trying to be kinder. It's not that at all. It's not that I'm simply trying to keep the law of God or make you even like me in a greater way. It's because it's reverence and respect for God. Reverence and respect for God. So, to not live a life that is intentional and focused on God. To not live a life that is filled with the Spirit. To not live a life that the fullness of God dwells in you greatly. Can I say this to you in love? Is disrespectful to God. The reverences that God calls us to is not fear-based, but it is love-based. And greatly painted with the brush of grace for our lives and our lives. But out of that reverence, I desire to please God more than the air that I breathe. Do you sense what Paul is saying to us this morning? That's why it's taken me 48 minutes to just get this out. But it's there's so much here. So for a moment, to focus on God, could you take a posture of prayer and allow me to pray for you and pray with you for a moment? Because some of you in the room have things to bring under that submission to Christ today. And this is the moment for you to do that before you leave these doors. And I don't even have to try to make up a list for you because you know because the Holy Spirit has already been convicting you and moving in your heart to know what that is. So listen to his voice. For some of you, this is a moment to begin to pray, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit.
that I may walk in the Spirit, controlled by you in every area of my life. And when I get it wrong, then there is great grace and mercy for that. And we understand that. But yet, God, may I live a life that is intentional for your purposes and your design for me. And so, Father, I reach my arms out today and I pull all these things under you in my life. And I submit those things to you today. Fill me with your spirit. So, Father, we pray together. We pray together in this moment before you as our great God who loves us beyond description to the point that you sent your son to die for us. So Father, you have called us today. You have given us through your servant Paul a very direct call for our lives and that is to reach out into all the extremities of who we are and to draw everything under you in submission. So, Father, today, may we refocus. May our life become more intentional for you than ever before today. Father, help us to fight the fight as you empower us by your spirit. Father, may we pray every day, fill me with your spirit. May we plant your word deep within us today that it changes everything about us. May we walk in your spirit. Because God, what we realize is that this is a work of you in our life. This is a divine move of your spirit within us. So God, we submit ourselves to you. We repent of those moments when we've taken control. And God, you forgive. For those moments when we've taken our hands off the wheel and just coasted God, forgive us for those moments of our lives. For those moments when we've been filled with everything else in this world other than the Spirit, forgive us for those moments as well. Fill us today with your Spirit. May we walk in your Spirit powerfully today. Father, we thank you for that work in our lives, that supernatural work of you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.